Well, ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Lake said she would win. She said there was no way she would lose unless it was stolen or rigged or fraudulent. She insisted even hours uh, into yesterday's final counting in Arizona that she would ultimately prevail and become the next governor of Arizona. And Carrie Lake has lost. It is good news for sensible people and sane people, not only in Arizona, not only in the United States, but it is good news for the world. We have a world, as Donald Trump famously said, and that world is rejoicing other than some clowns in Arizona because Carrie Lake will not be the next governor of that state. Instead, it will be Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, a completely uncontroversial, unremarkable, just normal Democrat who will hopefully run Arizona in something approximating a logical way. She won't say, well, we're going to secede. She won't say end covid lockdowns and mandates that don't exist. She won't try to ban abortion and on and on and on. It has been a very slow count in Arizona, but it was finally called yesterday. Katie Hobbs prevailing over Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake adding yet another major endorsement fracas to Donald Trump's list. And um, Carrie Lake and many others insisting that it is indeed fraud. We will look at Carrie Lake's reaction in a moment. At the current time, it is a nearly 20,000 vote margin for Katie Hobbs, um, under one point, understand. But uh, it has been called and it is fortunately very much over. What makes this all the sweeter? And I admit, I take pleasure in this. What makes this all the sweeter is the degree of arrogant confidence that Carrie Lake exhibited up until quite literally hours before this was called the arrogant confidence of Donald Trump insisting that Carrie Lake would win. But it started to flip, flip, flip and get to the point where, well, Based on the remaining votes, Carrie Lake needs 53 percent. Now of the remaining votes, Carrie Lake needs 56 percent. We knew days ago that mathematically it really just wasn't adding up for Carrie Lake. And indeed, we have made it. Now, what about Carrie Lake's Twitter feed? Well, it's been relatively quiet. She has a pinned message from September and then only one tweet that seems to be related to the call which is Arizonans no BS when they see it. Arizonans no BS when they see it. And of course, I had to get in there uh, and respond to her and tell her, indeed, Arizonans sobbed the BS of your campaign and they voted for your opponent. Um, a, a, a repetitive screeds and tirades from Kerry Lake. Shouldn't election officials be impartial? The guys running the election have made it their mission to defeat America first Republicans. And then if there was an issue with your ballot, please submit the information here. Attention, your vote may not have been counted. You can check the status at carrylake.com slash cure. This is a whole thing where they want to cure the ballots. And as all of you know, why cure with so much salt? when you can cold smoke and get all the flavor in a much less salty ballot. I prefer cold smoking rather than curing, but that's a culinary question for later. Um, Carrie Lake continuing, you know, your vote may not have been counted and on and on and on. Uh, She has not conceded as of this point in time. I could not care less whether or not she concedes. 
uh, as many of you know, concession is merely a formality. It is something that, you know, reasonable people do. Even lunatic Doug Mastriano called Josh Shapiro and said, sir, I concede. I concede, sir. You have won this election. Um, something Donald Trump never really did after 2020. And Carrie Lake may not do it either, but a victory for common sense in Arizona. Let's continue talking about this a little bit more. Uh, you guys remember massive dumps? No, no, no. I'm not talking about those of you who have little babies at home. I'm talking about this phrase that Donald Trump started using to signal fraud in 2020, that there were dumps of ballots seemingly without even a hint of understanding the absurd and ironic nature of that phrase just moments before the Arizona gubernatorial race was called against Carrie Lake. Lake appeared on Fox News with Jesse Waters. And again, without like a shred of self-awareness of how stupid they sound talking about these dumps, they started talking about dumps. Listen to this. What's going to happen when we hear about this vote dump in about, I don't know, <laughs> minutes? It could be, Carrie. I, I don't know. We know we think we should be in good shape. There's yeah, we think it's going to be a pretty favorable dump. The hundred. I mean, look at my notes, one hundred and fifty eight thousand ballots that have not been counted yet. And ninety four thousand of those are in Maricopa County, where they took our sacred vote and they and they just made a mockery of it. It's they out- dumped all over the boat. Rageous, Jesse, what happened? I had a man come up to me at breakfast yesterday and he had tears in his eyes. No, sir. Said I showed up to vote. There was a three hour line. They said the tabulator machines were not working. I drove across the way and went to another 15 minute drive to another center and the printing uh, printers weren't working. They had no toner in them. <laughs> I drove another 20 minutes and finally voted. It was a half a day odyssey to cast my vote. And we're getting thousands of people reaching out saying the exact same thing. We don't know how many people just finally gave up because it was so hard to vote. And when they did get to the front of the line, only to find out the tabulator wasn't going to count their vote. It was all right. So anyway, she's going on about things going beyond just dumps at this point in time. Remember that every one of the claims that she made was either refuted or explained. There was an issue with the tabulator. The only person that was going around saying, leave this polling place and go to a different one to have your vote counted were Republicans in support of Kerry Lake. That was a self-inflicted blunder. The election officials from Maricopa County, who, by the way, are Republicans, came out and said, listen, there was an issue with it with the tabulator. We fixed the issue. Everything's fine. And of course, they are relying on old tropes, in this case, the infamous massive dumps quote. Just because you hear dumps doesn't mean anything was stolen. But remember this iconic moment from failed former President Donald Trump. And what happened, if you watched the election, I was called by the biggest people people. uh, saying congratulations, political people. Congratulations, sir. You just won the election. It was 10 o'clock and you looked at the numbers and I'm sure you felt that way. Right. This election was over and then they did dumps. They call them dumps, big, massive dumps uh, (laughs) in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Yeah. And the Maria Bartiromo moment where she adjusts her glasses as Trump repeats that there were dumps is really just uh, uh, it's I believe it's one of the most important moments in political media history of the United States. All right. So they went the route of the dumps and the dumps were not in their favor. And Carrie Lake lost. Last thing I want to touch on with Carrie Lake, just the hilarity of the final people insisting that she would win, even though it was clear she didn't have the numbers. 
Carrie Lake herself and other extremists insisted she was going to win until the very last moment. At a certain point, you have to ask, do they not understand basic math? Do they not understand the degree to which they need to overwhelm the remaining ballots the further they fall behind? And don't they realize, wow, I haven't gotten 60 percent of the vote anywhere so far. I need 60 percent of everything that's left to win. It's probably over for me. They don't seem to get it or they don't care. Let's go through this. Here is Carrie Lake up until the last moment. Look at how confidently she insisted. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Do you find it somewhat problematic at all that your opponent, Katie Hobbs, is secretary of state and she didn't recuse herself? By the way, this happened in Georgia previously where the secretary of state was running for governor. They they none of these Republicans had any problem with it. Now they have a problem with it. Overseeing this election, an election that she's actually very much running in. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, um, right after I got into the race, after I threw my hat into the ring in June of 21, that next month in July, I recognized that would be a problem. And we put out a very hard push for her to recuse herself from any aspects of her job as secretary of state that oversaw any part of the elections. And she refused to do so. And we saw how botched the August 2nd primary election was. Much of that can be attributed to her incompetence. And now we're seeing all the problems with this election. And I think it's just going to when when I win, it's going to be a sigh of relief. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was yesterday. And indeed, the sigh of relief was that Carrie Lake lost. Here's Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about that critical Arizona race just yesterday. We lost in 2020 because of that, because of the mail in ballots and because it was ripe for election fraud. And now we're watching it again, especially in Carrie Lake's race over in Arizona. This this shouldn't be this way. Everyone was calling for a red wave. Either all the pollsters were wrong and they need to be fired. And that's Republican, Democrat. And I mean, that's what they've been saying forever. These Republicans forever have been saying fire the pollsters. Media pollster saying that we were going to get a red wave or we have to finally acknowledge the fact or at least we have to get the other side to acknowledge the fact and admit the truth that mail in ballots is the biggest problem in our elections. Mail in ballots are the biggest problem in our election. So Marjorie Taylor Greene jumping full speed ahead into the uh, fraud element. And she says, listen, all these right wing pollsters told us there was going to be a red wave. Now there wasn't. It must have been fraud. It must have been fraud. And then here is January 6th riot organizer Ali Alexander saying that he's going to will Carrie Lake to win. This was just yesterday morning. Hours later, she lost. Even if Carrie was going to lose, I would will it into existence. And I know that sounds kooky. Yes. And I know that sounds crazy. Yes. But. Just don't catch me on a wild day. Uh. Pete Davidson one time got on my bad side. Yeah. And almost killed himself. So. What? You're not going to believe me. It doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that no one needs to believe you the first time. The point is, you just need to tell them a the first time. Okay. Do you understand this? No. This is going to sound kooky for y'all and cozy, but. You guys don't understand the esoteric. Oh. What if I told you that 
all of us are capable of traveling. Well, not all of us, because you're not smart enough, but what if I told you that there are a lot of people capable of time traveling, they just don't know it? What if I told you that time traveling is easier than you think? Yep. Well, uh, this is exactly the caliber of person that was supporting Carrie Lake. So, you know, whether it's because it was willed or prayed for or someone traveled forward in time or back in time, Carrie Lake has lost and we can all rejoice. It is a bullet dodged. Huge work to be done over the next two years. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. A lot of people, 3.2 million last month, watched our videos, didn't subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Help us get to 2 million and we will take a very quick break and be back after this. The science tells us that one of the best ways to get consistent Deep sleep is lowering your core body temperature. When your body stays cooler at night, you're more comfortable and your sleep is better. Our sponsor, Sleep Me, is the home of Chili Sleep, the customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that can improve your sleep by keeping you cooler at night. There are three different Chili Sleep systems there's the Uller, the Cube, and the new Doc Pro with double the cooling power. All three systems are water based, temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you with your ideal sleep temperature. You can go as cool as 55 degrees. You can go really hot if you want. I keep mine at 60, beautiful temperature for me. Don't wake up hot and sweaty. Chilly sleep keeps me asleep all night. It feels great. I didn't know it was possible to love sleeping even more than I already did. Go to sleep.me slash Pacman to learn more and get 25% off your new chili sleep system. Click on our chili sleep link in the podcast notes to start staying cool at night. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. I love cooking at home. I cook all the time. Having a good set of knives that you actually like to use is really important. For years, I have been a fan of the advantages that Japanese knives offer. And our sponsor, Kamikoto, makes amazing Japanese steel kitchen knives using the traditional techniques that date back to the Edo period of Japan. Kamikoto only uses steel from Japan. 
Each blade takes years to craft and goes through a rigorous 19 step inspection process with a lifetime guarantee. The knives come in a beautiful heavy duty ash wood box, makes it a really great gift, easy to store as well. On the Kamikoto website, you can see a map of the Michelin star chefs all over the world using Kamikoto knives. My Kamikoto knives at home have been performing great for years. You really just can't beat the feel of a nice Japanese knife perfectly balanced in your hand. And Kamikoto is now running a big Black Friday sale. My audience gets an extra $50 off. Go to Kamikoto.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's K-A-M-I-K-O-T-O dot com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for an extra $50 off. The info is in the podcast notes. All right. Give you a quick update on the Herschel Walker, uh, Raphael Warnock runoff, December 6th, of course, in Georgia. This will determine not who controls the Senate. Democrats have taken control of the Senate. It is currently 50 to 49. But that race, that runoff will determine, is it a 50-50 Senate for two years where Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote for Democrats? Or will Democrats have a 51 to 49 majority, which at least takes care of Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema? without requiring Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote. Herschel Walker continues to speak, and it becomes increasingly clear every time he does that he doesn't have any idea what is going on. Herschel Walker held—it's it, it's truly beyond parody at this point in time. Walker, her, uh, Walker held an event in which he—I think he's trying to attack Raphael Warnock here, but he really— is criticizing himself. You'll see what I mean in a moment here in this first clip, Herschel Walker addressing the issue of keeping one's own kids, keeping one's own kids. And then he even paid himself a child care, all that stuff. Why don't he keep his own kids? Don't have nobody to keep your kid. You keep your kid. Then you got somebody else keeping. I keep my own, even though he lied about me. It's okay. It's okay because he's trying to get your vote. Don't let it trick you. Try to get your vote. What is Herschel Walker talking about right there? Is Herschel Walker saying that Raphael Warnock should parent his children? Because one of the things we learned about Herschel Walker is that he's been an absent father to multiple kids. Or am I make trying to make more sense of it than we can make? Listen to this again. What is he talking about? And then he even paid himself for child care, all that stuff. Why don't he keep his own kids? Don't have nobody to keep your kids. You keep your kids. Then you got somebody else keeping. I keep my own, even though he lied about me. But it's okay. It's okay because he's trying to get your vote. Don't let it trick you. Try to get your vote. How can you hear that and think that's someone who should be making decisions about what our tax rates should be? That's somebody who I would want to be one of 100 votes for the entire country as to decisions on foreign policy. It just doesn't make any sense. Literally, it doesn't make any sense. Here's one more clip at another event where Herschel Walker yesterday is. I mean, I guess I don't even know how to report on this. I guess he's trying to make the case that he would be a good senator. Fundamentally, that's what this is about. And he attacked the green agenda and said that we should continue having gas guzzling cars. And it's not clear whether he doesn't understand gas guzzling is a pejorative or whether he likes it. You know, some of these people love the idea of damaging the environment. They sort of take pride in it. They say it's manly and patriotic. Listen to this. And again, try to make heads or tails out of it. 
I can promise you, Iran, Russia, and they're not talking about trying to charge a tank out in the desert. They're talking about war. And let me tell you this here. If we was ready for the green agenda, I'd raise my hand right now, but we're not ready right now. So don't let them fool you like this is a new agenda. This is not a new agenda. We're not prepared. We're not ready right now. What we need to do is keep having those gas guzzling cars because we got the good emission on those cars. We're what? doing the best thing that we can, but we need help. We need help, and those other people not helping us, China not helping us, India not helping us, but yet we're going to do it all because they're spending your money. It doesn't make any sense. I know that most of those words are English, but it doesn't make any sense. And the hope is if Herschel Walker's lack of qualifications are made clear, if Herschel Walker's hypocrisy on so many issues is made clear, and if we do the door knocking and we do the phone banking, and to the extent that you do need to raise money in order to win a Senate seat, people donate to Raphael Warnock. Hopefully this goes in Warnock's favor. I continue to say it would be such a massive humiliation to the country, to the country, to see Herschel Walker be a senator. That we really need to pull out all the stops and prevent it from happening. And by the way, we're going to be up against Kelly Leffler. You tell me whether that's scary or not. Kelly Leffler, the Republican senator who lost to Raphael Warnock in Georgia in 2021, says her organization is going to be helping out Herschel Walker. I don't know if that's a promise or a threat from Kelly Leffler based on how things went. She appeared on Fox Business and she said, we're going to help Herschel. We're going to help Herschel. Check this out. I'm thrilled that Governor Kemp has thrown his support uh, behind Herschel really from day one. And now he's throwing his ground game behind it, as are we. And the key here is that we want everyone to come in and support this effort. But this effort is about Georgians. And I'm calling on Georgians to get involved, to support Herschel. Yeah. So Kelly Leffler, she's got a lot of money. Kelly Leffler and her husband reportedly are worth about $800 million. There's no doubt she has money to contribute to this effort. We have to hope that it's yet another failure and that the outcome is exactly the same as the outcome from 2021. Remember, in 2021, this was uh, because of the 50 percent rule in Georgia. Both Georgia Senate seats in 2021 in 2020, rather, went to special elections, which took place on January 5th, 2021. We covered them. You may remember John Ossoff won and Raphael Warnock won. Warnock is the one who faced off against Kelly Leffler. Warnock won by two percent of the vote. Um, it was just under a 100,000 vote margin. So the hope is the hope is that, again, some Republicans won't vote because they feel it's rigged. Listen, I'm not going to go out there and try to suppress the vote. It's not my move. But if they want to tell themselves and each other, don't bother voting because it's rigged and your vote won't vote won't matter. By all means, tell each other that that's absolutely fine. And if indeed the same failed ground game that lost Kelly Leffler's election in 2020, 2021 is going to be in play here. I say absolutely fantastic thing. Let's let them do it. Now, that being said. You know, no matter what position I take, a portion of the audience is mad. And this is this happens with just about every election. What's my real feeling about this Georgia runoff? My real feeling is it's probably like a 55 
ish percent chance Warnock wins 55, maybe 60 percent chance based on the totality of everything that's going on and how previous special elections have gone. Just all these different things. No matter what numbers I assess or no matter what polling I look at, it's always the same thing with the audience. And I think we could much more productively deal with this. I'm not a news show. I'm a commentary show. So when you take a race like this, if I say to you, listen, um, the polls are basically split 50 50, but based on, you know, everything from more Republicans died of covid than Democrats. So it killed more Republican voters to special elections in Georgia recently have been good for the Democratic candidate combined with there's maybe some right wing polls that are averaged in that are not too trust. OK, some people will write to me and say, David. You are dissuading Democratic voters from voting where you when you say, I think it's probably a 55 or 60 percent chance that Warnock wins. Voters in Georgia will hear that Democratic voters and they're going to stay home. It's very dangerous what you're doing. OK, if I understate the degree of support, I get emails from people who say, David, and I got these when I was just looking at polling with caveats leading up to last week's midterm. People would email me and say, David, why are you buying into this right wing narrative that Republicans are going to do well? It's all push polling in Georgia. These are trash right wing polls. And if voters, Democratic voters hear you say Walker's leading, they're going to stay home. First of all, it's a sort of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I'm not creating the polls and I'm not doing news reporting. I'm synthesizing what's out there and giving you my opinion, which is I think the circumstances slightly favor Warnock. I don't know whether the polling we have between now and December 6th, which is so soon, will really be trustworthy. It could go either way. Everyone should vote. That's that's the reality. Any position can be used to claim that I'm doing the wrong thing. And by the way, any position could also be used to say, well, that means we really should vote, right? If the truth is, oh, this is 50 50 and it's leaning red, that's not a reason for Democrats to stay home. That's a reason for Democrats to get out to vote. So let's allow ourselves to recognize simultaneously. We only have certain numbers of things we can look at to figure out what is going on, and it's okay to look at those things. And also, at the end of the day, cheering and booing doesn't count for who wins and polling doesn't count for who wins. Voting counts for who wins. Let's allow ourselves to understand those things. All right. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at David Pakman show. What's happening, by the way, with the big announcement tonight? We'll talk about that next. If you have a friend or loved one who is passionate about the environment, here is a perfect holiday gift. Our sponsor, Established Titles, is a project that lets you ceremonially purchase as little as one square foot of dedicated land in Edelston, Scotland, so that you can call yourself a lord or a lady like the historic Scottish tradition. Some people even change their plane tickets or credit cards to include lord or lady. Your title pack comes with an official certificate. You can see exactly where your plot of land is located. It makes a perfect last minute gift. But most importantly, established titles plants one free tree for every plot of land sold. 
Established Titles does really good work all over the world with reforestation organizations like One Tree Planted and Trees for the Future. So you'll have a great laugh whether you're Scottish or not. I'm not. But you're giving the gift of reforestation to fight climate change. If you use my link, you'll get 10 percent off and your plot of land will be right next to mine. You can see it on a map. Go to EstablishedTitles.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman for an extra 10 percent off on top of their Black Friday deal. The link is in the podcast notes. It's great to be joined today by Nick Lane, who's professor of evolutionary biochemistry at University College London, also the author of five books, some of which I've read, including Transformer, The Deep Chemistry of Life and Death. Really appreciate uh, you being on today. Thank you. Well, thank you for the invitation. Pleasure to be here. So I think maybe to, to kind of frame the conversation, you, uh, certain areas of science are studied in particular ways. Biology, for example, has increasingly looked at genetic information as one particular way that we study it. Yeah. The origins of life, intelligent life, consciousness, whatever. The, the approach to that study has been a particular way over the last several decades. Do you think, generally speaking, that in these fields, science is focusing on the right questions and the right approaches? Or is there sort of like a paradigm shift that you think would be more useful in answering some of the key questions we don't yet have answers to? Uh, well, I do think a paradigm shift would be useful. That's not to say everything that people have been studying is wrong. Um, you know, it's it's taken us a long way down the path. But the the danger is that if you think it's only about genes and information and so on, then you, you kind of miss the broader point. There's there's more to life than just genetic information. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a statement of the obvious. Uh, but but it's amazing how kind of how much tunnel vision you can have in research that people know effectively where the funding is going to come from, the kind of things that will attract funding, the kind of things that you can do. A lot of science is about what you can physically go and do in the lab. What, uh, what you know, what technical equipment do you have to go and explore this question? Uh, and then I have to say, science is intrinsically quite conservative. Um, and any ideas that seem to be too far outside the box uh, tend to be squashed. Uh, you know, and there's lots of ideas outside the box and probably a, a fairly high proportion of them, probably including some of my own, uh, ought to be squashed. But, you you know, you don't squash them without thinking about it. You squash them after uh, after, you know, <laughs> testing them, trying it a little bit. Just see see where it takes you. Well, that's very interesting because th- there are some uh, in the you know science communication community, I guess we would call it for lack of a better term who often repeat and like to say that one of the great differences between science and religion is that within organized religion, dissenting views are often squashed or dismissed. Mm -hmm. You become a pariah of sorts. In contrast to the scientific world, where actually being able to debunk or disprove previously uh, uh, held beliefs is greatly revered and celebrated and welcomed, and there's great celebrity available to scientists if they are able to do that. Is that only true in some sense or in some cases? Um, there is a lot of truth in that, which is to say, I won't speak for the for the religious side of it, but for the scientific side, yes, I think most scientists most of the time set out to try and do something new, to try and you know overturn the apple cart to some extent, but 
the whole system of peer review, the whole system of, of kind of double checking everything and making sure that, uh, that this is bona fide, that this is solid research, that you've not missed something obvious, that you've, you've got all the controls and all this stuff. Well, who does the peer review? The people who do the peer review are the people who have, in effect, already established their careers within establishing the current paradigm. Uh, and so as a group of people, they are by nature, I mean, kind of almost by definition, relatively conservative. And if you really do come up with a completely new paradigm, then you really will overturn a lot of people's work. Um, and so being revolutionary is not an easy thing to do. I'm not saying I'm revolutionary. I think I'm I'm just talking plain common sense, to be honest with you. But um, but but this is this is something that anybody who is genuinely uh, has transformative ideas in science will come up against the conservativeness of peer review. And and as I say, probably nine out of ten people with what look like mad ideas will really have mad ideas that will turn out not to be true. And it's probably right that they don't get too far but one out of those 10 may be you know genuinely brilliant a genius who, who who's and, and they face uh, kind of problems with the social construction of science yes to talk a little more specifically about one of your books transformer the deep chemistry of life and death as we kind of mentioned at the start of the conversation there's been a lot of focus on genetic information in the field of biology and um, one of the areas that you explore again to the extent that I, I hopefully understood it somewhat correctly in the book is about metabolism and looking at sort of the cellular level. And when we talk about life and death, really looking at what is it that is happening there. Now, we've talked to scientists who specialize in human longevity, for example, and they've explained in a way that is relevant to that particular field, the idea of over time, the body losing the ability to replace cells of different types, a deterioration of sorts that that takes place, et cetera. That's specific to the field of longevity, and the, the, the language sort of serves that that purpose. Can you talk a little bit about the, the angle that you take here and really this process that's at the core that you describe? Yeah, what I'm really interested in is is how energy works in biology because it's not it's not as you might imagine it. It's actually electrical. I suppose a lot of people might Im immediately think it's electrical if you think about <laughs> Frankenstein's monster or something. You have an electric shock and off they go. Um, and we are all our inside our cells. We have these things called mitochondria. They're often called the power packs of cells, and they have a, they have an electrical charge across their membrane, which is a you know a trivial charge. We're talking 150, 200 millivolts. But if you were to shrink yourself down to the size of a molecule. Um, and, and kind of stand next to the membrane, uh, the membrane is so thin, it's, it's five millionths of a millimeter in thickness, five nanometers thick, um, that the, the, the actual strength of the field that you would experience if you were there is about 30 million volts per meter, which is equivalent to a bolt of lightning. So this is what's keeping us alive. And, and nobody imagined uh, until you know, it's a few decades ago, this is not new information, but a few decades ago, it came as really quite a shock to discover that effectively life is powered by electrical charges and electrical fields across membranes. Um, and so for me, the interesting question is why? How did that get going? It's, it's quite a complex system. What happened at the origin of life? This is conserved across all of life. And also, if we look across this you know, whole four billion year history of life on Earth, it's pretty weird as well. What we actually see is the first two billion years is just bacteria and, and really nothing else. Uh, and actually, if you think about it from the point of view of bacteria, they're still there. They're still just bacteria. And nothing. So we have a four billion year history of life on Earth, which is just bacteria. And then at one point, 
um, which is to say all the evidence suggests at one point you, ha you have the emergence, what looks like quite an abrupt emergence in geological terms, of our own type of cell, what are called eukaryotic cells, or that means a cell with a nucleus, and the nucleus is where we put our DNA, the, the, the genes. Um, and, and so we have the same cell type that plants do, and that you know, mushrooms, fungi, and so on do. Uh, and, and, and large single-celled critters, things like amoeba, they also have the same cell structure. Now, if you think, if you think about, you know, we know all, we've got all of these gene sequences from the history of life, from bacteria all around the world. And, and what it tells us is that the bacteria and another group that look a lot like them called archaea have basically explored the kind of gene sequence space, the, the, all the possibilities that you could have across all of evolution from exploring different gene sequences. They've done that much better than our type of cell have, than eukaryotic cells have. And yet somehow they got stuck in this rut. They, they remain simple in their morphology. They're not simple in their genetics or their biochemistry, but they're simple in their size and their shapes and the, you know, the, the, the kind of things going on inside. Uh, and so it, it seemed, I would say that, that says they're not limited by genetics. They're not limited by this searching of sequence space. They're limited by something else. And that something I think is the structure because what all eukaryotes have in common is they 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 swallowed a bacterium <laughs> two right. billion years ago, which went on to become these power packs, the mitochondria, with this powerful electrical charge across all the membranes. So effectively, they internalized respiration in a compartment, um, which which allowed them to scale up, become large and complex, and and and, and more or less get beyond the constraints that energy has. So obviously, cells need energy, but not many people have thought about well. How is it provided? And, 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 and what we actually have is we have genes in our mitochondria and genes in our nucleus. And you need both sets of genes to control this electrical charge. And that's, that's a kind of a shift in cell structure, which changed the whole history of evolution and, and everything that's possible. And if we look for life on other planets and you think, are we going to find the same kind of things? Are we going to find people? Are we going to find intelligent aliens, whatever it may be? The likelihood is we'll find bacteria for exactly the same reasons that the earth was dominated by bacteria for most of its history. When we think forward based on yeah. this framework, you know, I recently read the book Precipice by Toby Ord, which looks at some of the more, uh, I guess we would say, anthropogenic risks to humanity. And he sort of goes through uh, w nuclear war, uh, climate change, et cetera, and kind of frames the conversation in from what we know, here's roughly how long species last. Here's roughly what we think about mammalian species and, and takes sort of that approach to mm -hmm. how long might Homo sapiens last if we were to not destroy ourselves, but it's a very socially uh, uh, informed kind of perspective. When you think about the future of Homo sapiens, is mm -hmm. that side the one that seems most predictive or is what we're talking about here quite literally how cells get their energy and the waste of cells? Which do you think as humanity continues to ad presumably advance technologically will bear a greater weight on what eventually happens to humans? Uh, well, I mean, I, I fear for the next phase of human history. I mean, we are very capable of screwing this up badly. Um, and, and, and effectively eliminating ourselves from the planet. Now, we will not 
under any circumstances eliminate life from the planet. I suppose a full-scale nuclear Armageddon might just do it. But even then, there will be plenty of bacteria left, I'm sure, deep yes. down in the crust and so on. And probably plenty of eukaryotes down there as well. So this transition from just a bacteria to, uh, to, to, to eukaryotic cells, I don't think we'd have to go through that again. And, and we've had, you know, major mass extinctions in the past where we're 70, 80, 90 percent of, of species get wiped out. Um, you, you move the clock forward by five, 10 million years and, and, and you have a fully vibrant planet again. So really what we're in danger of doing is destroying ourselves and everything we care about. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then the planet will readjust and in 10 million years, it'll just be without us. Um, would we get back all the majesty that we see around us? It's, it's hard to say. It depends just how effective we are in wiping everything else out. So that's my biggest fear because there are tipping points. And there, it's, it's, it's all very well to say we should be optimistic. We can fix any problem we put our minds to. I would agree with that. But we need the political will. We need the political governance. and you know, We're also capable of scuppering the best laid plans that humanity can come up with. And it may be we just leave it too late beyond, beyond some tipping point. Mm. So that's the biggest threat to humanity. It doesn't matter how long mammalian species might normally last. We can do ourselves in within the next 20 years or something. We're quite, in a special, unique situation now we as really far are. as that goes. We, yeah. we really are unique in the sense that I, I don't think any other species beyond, well, not even a virus, could take out the entire planet in the way that we're capable of doing. So I, I don't know that it's necessarily helpful to think in general terms about the future. Mm. Um, I think we need to fix very specific problems now. But if we're, if we're thinking about, you know, if we do go into those general terms and think about, well, uh, can, can we, for example, solve lifespan so that we live indefinitely? Um, I, I think it will be difficult. What I mean, there's two there's two aspects in biology that says it's possible. One of them is that life itself uh, is effectively immortal, in the sense that there is an unbroken chain of cells that go right back to the origin of life, um, and, and those cells were metabolically active all the way through. Um, so, so there's no necessity that damage accumulates and, and, and overcomes everything. And then there are some, you know, things like flatworms and so on. There's a, there's a few fairly simple animals that uh, are in effect immortal and can live indefinitely. But they're usually pretty simple. And the things that we most care about are, you know, our minds. And our minds are incredibly delicate structures made up of synaptic, you know, trillions of synaptic connections. Um, and and, and, and the, the, to preserve those is is a is a very difficult thing to do, and the, the the decision evolution has made historically, if you like, is um, how much effort do I want to put into the preservation of the organism compared to the replication of the organism, and and the decision for humans is well, you know, 70, 80, 90 years. Um, that allows you time to have a few kids and, uh, and look after them, and even the grandparents can help look after them, whatever it may be. Uh, this is a kind of an evolutionary bargain, if you like, and the bargain says you have a limited lifespan because this is all we're going to invest in your own prolongation as an organism. So we need to know the kind of the details of the small print that says, uh, here's, why you, here's why your life is coming to an end, and see if we can fix that. Um, a lot of people wouldn't want to fix that. Uh, I think it would be quite difficult in any case to do it. Um, so it's not, it's not, if you like, a, a threat. <laughs> 
in the immediate future, I don't think, though you, you could talk to other people who think that we already have people on this planet who are going to live to a thousand or something. I, well, I, that's I doubt. Short, short of that. And I've interviewed some of those people. Yeah. Aubrey de Grey yeah. has been saying for 20 years, yeah. I think, that the yeah, first yeah, person absolutely. to live to a thousand has lived. In the limited time we have left, it's almost cliche because it's so repeated now. And sometimes things get repeated. And do we do, do they really make sense? But there's this idea that the the best we can hope to do with standard human bodies is about 120 or 125 years and that's that about beyond, the maximum human lifespan yes. yeah and, and so so that generally makes sense to you that until we really start making modifications that make us not quite human that's going to be a very difficult upper limit to get to get beyond i i think it will be very difficult yes i'm not saying it's not possible um, but, uh, but, but it will be, it will be difficult. Yes. And, and I think it'll take us a while longer. Yeah. I don't think we understand biology nearly well enough yet to get beyond that limit personally. Right. We've been speaking with Nick Lane, professor of evolutionary biochemistry at university college. London we will link to a number of his books, including transformer, the deep chemistry of life and death. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Check out our sponsor, Shaker and Spoon, the monthly cocktail subscription box that delivers the craft cocktail experience to your door. Each monthly box comes with three original recipes created by world class bartenders with ingredients for 12 cocktails. My favorite is the Blood and Sage. It's part of the vodka based drinks. It uses herbed sage syrup and blood orange Meyer lemon ginger ale. Delicious, refreshing. I love how Shaker and Spoon includes everything you need, the ingredients, the instructions right in the box. The recipe is easy to follow. The blood and sage made for a very relaxing fall afternoon on the back deck. A lot of fun with Shaker and Spoon. You don't need to seek out hard to find cocktail ingredients or buy full size containers of things you'll use once. This is way more convenient. Shaker and Spoon introduces you to spirits and flavor combinations you may never have otherwise discovered, and it is a fantastic holiday gift. Give the gift of an awesome experience. Shaker and Spoon giving you $20 off your first box. Go to shakerandspoon.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's shaker, A-N-D, spoon.com slash Pacman. Promo code Pacman saves you $20 the link is in the podcast notes. Trump 2024 may be dying before it even starts in multiple new 2024 Republican polls. Ron DeSantis is leading Donald Trump, and this is before Trump makes his big announcement tonight, which we will talk about in a moment. There are two arguments about the importance of this, which we will talk about in a moment. First and foremost, there is a YouGov America poll, and it asked Republicans do you prefer DeSantis or Trump in 2024? Republicans and Republican leaners say 42 percent Ron DeSantis, 35 percent Donald Trump, 10 percent neither, 13 percent not sure. Now, the neither and the not sure could make the difference and push it back to Trump. But we are now for the first time getting these types of numbers. This poll was conducted November 9 to 11, meaning it was after the 2022 midterm. And indeed, it would be a logical causation to infer, although for now we can say it's a correlation. It, it could be a causation that Trump's 
controversial and sort of like contested endorsements in 2022 that went bad. That includes Kerry Lake, although we didn't know about that until yesterday. Um, Mehmet Oz, Doug Mastriano, et cetera, that the failure of those endorsements has reinvigorated support for someone other than Trump. Now, you might say, well, David, sir, with total respect and tears in my eyes, that's only one poll. Well, there are now multiple polls that show DeSantis leading. Yes, there's a new morning consult poll in which Trump is still winning. However, we now have uh, a CWS research poll in Texas, which shows Texas prefers DeSantis over Trump 43 to 32. That's a pretty big deal. We have a Georgia Republican primary poll from WPA intelligence, which shows DeSantis plus 20 over Trump. We have one in Florida, which shows DeSantis plus 26 over Trump, New Hampshire, DeSantis plus 15, Iowa, DeSantis plus 11, and one from the Association for Canadian Studies for a general national primary, which shows DeSantis plus two. This splits this changed right after November 8th. Now, there's two arguments here. Argument one is that this is all completely irrelevant. Okay, the argument that it's irrelevant is. If you actually have Trump and DeSantis running an ugly, contested, snippy primary against each other, Trump will do the same sort of stuff that he did in 2016, making fun of people, ridiculing them, being Teflon, and that ultimately DeSantis isn't going to be able to do it and that DeSantis is going to fall off. There are some major differences, however. Number one, if indeed this is a two candidate race, Trump versus DeSantis, that's very different than what would have happened than what did happen in 2015 and 2016, which was you had 18 candidates or 19 candidates to start with. You had a lot of these ones and twos, people polling one and two percent. And Trump just would stick it out long enough for one of the ones and twos to fall off and Trump picks up a point. And then another one of the ones and twos falls off and Trump picks up another point or two. There was this attrition sort of dynamic. If you just start with really just two candidates in 2024, Trump and DeSantis, with Trump being a known political entity, with Trump already being president, with Trump already losing himself in 2020 and hurting Republicans in 22, you can argue the circumstances are so different that it is not going to be a similar situation. But for the first time, the betting markets now pointing to DeSantis over Trump in the primary and increasingly polling pointing to DeSantis over Trump. Tonight is the big announcement. Donald Trump at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight will be making an announcement. The expectation is that he's going to announce he's running for president, although there are many people telling him don't do it, at least don't do it yet. Donald Trump in his infinite delusions of grandeur is saying that hopefully this announcement will be one of the most important days in American history. Think about that. Donald Trump believes that whatever he's going to say tonight and we will carry it live is going to be one of the most important days in the history of the United States. Talk about narcissism. Donald Trump posting yesterday on his platform, Truth Social, Central. quote, hopefully tomorrow will turn out to be one of the most important days in the history of our capital C country. And then again today, Trump posting, hopefully 
today will turn out to be one of the most important days in the history of our country. However, not everybody thinks this is a good idea. Donald Trump's final former press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, says Trump should not declare today. Take a listen to this. And that could go straight through the state of Georgia. Does that include Trump? I think he needs to put it on pause. Absolutely. Look, he'll he'll make that decision. He'll make his own decision. But does he go to Georgia? If I'm advising any contender, DeSantis, Trump, whomever, no one announces 2024 until we get through December 6th. Do you see the former president? I need for him to go to Georgia. I I think we've got to make strategic calculations. Um, Governor DeSantis, I think he should be welcome to the state, given what happened last night. You've got to look. You've got to look at the realities on the ground. And Herschel Walker, we've got to win the Senate. That's it, guys. Got to win the Senate. All right, we'll move on. Uh, The Democrats. Yeah. So Kaylee doesn't think this is such a good idea, at least not before the December 6th uh, runoff. Now, Some have speculated that Trump is going to change his plan tonight and instead will announce something about Herschel Walker. However, he's already scamming people out of money, claiming it'll go to Herschel Walker. It'll go mostly to him. I'll get to that in a moment. Another person who doesn't think Trump should be announcing tonight is uh, Republican Governor uh, John Sununu. Take a listen to this. I know you say the media loves to talk about Donald Trump, and perhaps that's fair, but it's not just the media, it's Donald Trump himself, and he's planning to announce for president on Tuesday. Sorry, guys, it's Chris Sununu. I, I apologize. Chris Sununu. Is that a good idea? Uh, for him, no. I think it's a terrible idea for him. I, I was, look, from just a purely political standpoint, uh, we, we still don't know what's going to happen in Georgia. The co- votes are still being counted in Nevada and, 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 and uh, Arizona. Well, By the way, the well, no, Nevada, Nevada and Arizona went Democrat. Primary. Yeah. Nevada yeah, well, and Arizona. The went governor's to race is un- undecided. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Arizona, governor's race yes. in Arizona is still undecided. Yeah. Only about 80, 80, 80 or 90 percent. And so we'll see where that goes. But look, people want to move away from politics as you hit Thanksgiving, as you hit Christmas, as we're spending time <laughs> with families, as we're trying to figure out how we're going to fill our oil tanks with all these high fuel prices. So uh. now's just a horrible time for big political uh, statements. Uh, save that for early 23 would be, be my message. But either way, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's going to be great for the media. Saturday Night Live will we'll probably love it. Uh, but for the rest of us, we're going to focus on spending time with our families. And All right. So Chris Sununu does not think Trump should announce his run for presidency tonight. And here is Jason Miller, one of Donald Trump's for a while closest advisors. He appeared on Newsmax and he also said, I wouldn't make this announcement on November 15th today. Now, you just said everything over the next month is about Herschel Walker. Having said that, I understood there could have, could be an announcement uh, before that. Uh, from somebody that uh, resides at Mar-a-Lago. So does that change his plans as far as announcing? So no formal decision yet. Of course, President Trump had said that he would be making an announcement on November 15th, next Tuesday. I'm advising the president to hold off until after the Georgia race, Hmm. after Herschel Walker, Priorities A, B, and C need to be about Herschel right now. This is bigger than anything else in the country. We got to show the focus is on Georgia, keep the country rallying. And a really critical point here is that Brian Kemp holds many of the cards for what's going to happen with Herschel Walker. There were a lot of the Kemp Warnock ticket splitters. Kemp didn't do anything for Herschel Walker in the general election. If Kemp wants to show that he's a leader with some brighter future ahead of him, then he needs to get out there and really hustle for Herschel Walker. We need all hands. All right. So the point here is Jason Miller is advising Trump not to do it. But there is one person who thinks it would be a great idea. It happens to be Donald Trump's daughter in law, Lara Trump. When asked 
given the poor results in the midterms, should Donald Trump really be announcing? And she said, absolutely. I don't think there's ever been a better time, to be honest with you, for Donald Trump to come back. Everywhere I go, and and I live in obviously a very Republican state in the state of Florida, all I hear from people is we need Donald Trump back. We want him back. Please tell us he's running. Um, So I don't think you can believe all the headlines. Yep. In her weird echo chamber bubble where she lives, Lara Trump thinks there is no better time than right now for Donald Trump to announce. We will carry the event. I'm not even calling it the announcement anymore. The event tonight, including reaction. We will be going live at 8 p.m. Eastern. The announcement's at 9 p.m. Eastern. Join me on YouTube, Twitch and Facebook. And remember, if you're not subscribed on YouTube, you really should be youtube.com slash the David Pakman show. Donald Trump has been caught brutally scamming his own followers again with a Herschel Walker fundraising email where everything is meant to look like the money is for Herschel Walker. But by default, only 10 percent of the donation actually goes to Herschel Walker. You have to see this. Trump is a known scammer. Trump scams his followers all the time. What Trump's care cares about is what can you do for me now? What money can you give me now? Walker's campaign reports NBC News tells Republicans to stop deceptive fundraising in the Georgia runoff. At least four committees, one of them associated with Trump, have kept 90 percent of contributions solicited for Herschel Walker. I will explain to you how this works. Uh, And NBC also explains it. Um, The campaign noticed the problem Saturday when former President Donald Trump Save America sent out an email that asked prospective donors to, quote, contribute any amount immediately to the official Georgia runoff fundraising goal and increase your impact by twelve hundred percent. But if donors didn't see a link that said click here for details or to edit allocation, they wouldn't have noticed 90 percent of the contributions automatically go to the orange menace, Mango Mussolini, Donald Trump. And only 10 percent go to Walker. Um, This is uh, we could actually look at this. This is a video put together by Jacob Rabashkin. And what you will see as you click through here is that you check that you want to contribute a certain amount. And then there is this link. In this case, it was two hundred and fifty dollars that was clicked. There's a link that says click here for details or to edit allocation. If you just click the 250 or whatever amount and then you look at the allocation, you will see that. uh, Oh, in this case, it's a thousand dollars of the thousand dollar contribution. Nine hundred was automatically allocated to go. Wait a second to Donald Trump. But this was a Herschel Walker fundraising email. And yet, unless you modify it, only 10 percent of the donation goes to Herschel Walker. NBC News reports that after this was highlighted, Trump's committee changed it to a 50 50 split, a 50 50 split. This is um, not unique to Herschel Walker. NBC News reports that at least originally in some J.D. Vance fundraising emails and Ted Budd fundraising emails, it was initially also 90 10. Subsequently, some of those were changed. It's the final grift or maybe not. The real final grift may be running for president again. We just don't know. We'll find out tonight or maybe we won't find out tonight. 
But this is what Donald Trump does. And as I've told you before, Trump doesn't like his followers. Trump doesn't respect his followers. We all know when we think about it, Donald Trump was a rich kid from New York City who spent his life insulating and isolating himself from the very people who now are his supporters. Sure, to some degree, he probably sees them favorably to the extent that they support him. But we've seen very quickly when there isn't anything for them to vote for you for or for them to donate to you for you flush them 10 or 15 times. Trump cares about his supporters if they might vote for him for something or if they might donate money. And he is now bilking them even more. Trump's plane has been repainted and refreshed and uh, uh, renovated and fixed up so that now it is flying him to rallies once again. Uh, These people who support him should say, wait a second, we donated all this money. He became president. He didn't do any of the stuff he said he was going to do. Didn't do the health care plan. I still have no health care. I have terrible health care. He didn't build the wall. He didn't fix trade. He didn't do any of those things. Then he asked me for more money. He lost in 2020. Then he asked me for more money. And now he shows up making terrible endorsements for people that end up losing in 2022 and shows up in a new plane. Did I pay for that plane? Have I been scammed again by this guy? But that is not the way they think it through. That does not seem to occur to them. Uh, And we will find out very, very soon whether he still has the political cachet to continue fundraising into 2023. We have a fantastic bonus show for you today. The Senate will act this week to codify same sex marriage federally. They say they have the votes. Do they? I think they do. We'll talk about what this will mean. Google is paying nearly three hundred and ninety two million dollars to settle a huge location tracking case. I have uh, some personal experience with this, which I will share on today's bonus show. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. And lastly, Even though Kevin McCarthy wants to be the next speaker of the House, if Republicans indeed take control of the House of Representatives, some Republicans are warning McCarthy, you don't have the votes to be the speaker of the House. Does he or doesn't he? And if not, could he get them? All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. Use the coupon code 24 starts now to get a beautiful discount. I'll see you then.